Hey friend, welcome back here to the Semi-Seminary. Tonight we're going to take a look at a story that we find in the Gospel account according to John. In fact, we can find this account in all four of the Gospel accounts. The only other miracle performed by Jesus in all four is the resurrection. This one should be important. See you on the other side. Okay, guys, I'll tell you what, I am going to go ahead and get started. Uh, we're just a couple minutes behind normal, but I we're not, we're fine. So, uh, we're in this series, and we're talking about spiritual truths that I think it's important for us to contemplate, to think about, to understand, and look for ourselves in the Word of God, and not only try to find ourselves situated in that story, but also using the Word of God as reinforcement to these spiritual truths. So we're looking at some lessons that we can learn from the stories within the Bible, perhaps marrying them to our own experiences. We might be able to enjoy a successful, joyous, peaceful Christian life. Now, basically, uh, in this series, we're taking as understood the revealed truth to us that our faith in Jesus Christ as believers, as, as, as whatever it is that we believe that causes us to call ourselves Christians, however that might be for you, we have to acknowledge that as a part of that relationship, it doesn't mean that we'll ever be free from turmoil or challenges or trouble in our lives. See, Many think that being a Christian is supposed to somehow remove the threat of dissension in our lives. But unfortunately, we recognize that Scripture does not provide that guarantee to us. In fact, the truth is Christ kind of promises us the opposite. That doesn't mean that there isn't hope, and it doesn't mean that there isn't really good news. Yes, Jesus told us that there would be trouble in our lives and we all encounter the storms of life, but that he will also be there with us every step of the way. So we have a promise, okay? There's a promise that scripture provides us. But like anything else in our lives, for a promise to be actually reassuring to us, we need something. Think about this. Think about all the different kinds of promises that we encounter in our lives. <clears throat> Driving down the road involves a certain amount of promise, believe it or not, between you and the other drives around you. I promise that I'm not going to intentionally cross the yellow line and hit you. And what, what, there's a foundational need that we have to make these promises significant, and that's trust. Okay, we're reassured by, we trust promises that are made to us because we have some reason, some evidence to believe that these promises are indeed genuine. And we talked about this last week. The Apostle John points to a number of things that Jesus said and did in his earthly ministry that John believes should serve to us Proof that he is the Messiah, that Jesus is who he says he was. And we learned something interesting, that these 
stories are found within a portion of the gospel account according to John, and they're known as the signs of John or the book of signs. And it deals with these signs, but it also, John, I think, is using these stories for, for us to learn to trust. We discover that each of these signs actually comes with a miracle that Jesus performs as well as a conversation. And last week, what we discussed was that, that the miracles that we read about affected the people's lives that experienced them. Right? But, but we have to experience the conversations that accompany these miracles. Because within those conversations, we can find reassurance, empowerment, and trust for ourselves. In other words, John is providing us the proof that we need to trust Jesus when he promises us that he'll be with us through the storms of life. Now, the setting for last week's conversation between Christ and his disciples and the performance of his miracle is simple. I'm sorry, I said last week's, I meant this week's. This week's story, right, is very simple. So here's the picture. Thousands of people have been listening, following Jesus around in the Galilee region, right? For thousands, there's thousands of people they've been following and listening to Jesus for days. Okay? He, he had tried to get out into the wilderness for some rest, but the people wouldn't leave him alone, and they just kept following. Now, they find themselves out in the boondocks with no groceries, and people are starving. Demand is high, supply is low. That might be like some of our own current situations. Many of us might be feeling, or maybe friends of ours might be feeling. But before people start to panic, Jesus takes over. Oops. Shows us right off the bat an assuring truth about our relationship with God and this promise is that God always has a plan. So we pick up the story in the gospel account according to John chapter 6, reading, beginning reading at verse 5. Okay, here's our story for today. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this not only to test them, for he already had in mind what he's going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half of a year's wages to buy enough bread, just so that each person might have a bite. This conversation here between Jesus and his disciples reveals this wonderful plan. And the good news is not just for those hungry people in Jesus' day, the plan is for us as well. So let's look at this story and let's reveal Christ's plan for us when it seems like we might be running on empty. That's the title of tonight's conversation. First lesson for us this evening is this. Be smart with what you've got, even when it's not much. Now, Jesus has a plan, but the disciples who are very much like us, or rather, we are very much like them, are all focused on what they don't have. 
In this case, Andrew, one of the disciples, Andrew, says to Jesus, verse 9, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Andrew's comment kind of seems resigned to futility. I mean, what he's saying is, is what good is such a small amount when we have such a huge need? I wonder if we've ever felt that way. We look at our need, our needs, and we look at our resources, and they just don't seem to balance out. What do we do when that happens, when there's more month than money? I suppose that this severely scant amount of food was on purpose. I believe the fact that it was so little, it was used to illustrate a much bigger point, to illustrate the miracle that's taking place here beyond the shadow of a doubt. Think about this. If there was a a good amount of food, but perhaps not enough, But, you know, if they were to manage the portions just right, everyone ended up with a little something. As a miracle, that doesn't quite have the same ring to it as just the meager amount of five loaves and a few fishes. A young boy, a small lunch, shows us a very important lesson for our everyday lives that you do not have to be a big shot for God to use you. You don't have to have a gazillion dollars. You just have to be available. God is big even if our resources aren't. And as we like to do on Wednesday nights here, let's just bring out a little historical context. The loaves were probably more like pancakes or pitas. They were flatbreads. The fish were probably pickled. Um, And the consistency probably would be more like a relish that you would spread on bread. So what good would just that little amount do with this huge crowd? You you might be able to make five people a snack. Just that small amount. But there were thousands. There was a thousand times five. And remember, that's just counting the men. The story tells us that there were also women and children present who were not counted as a part of those 5,000. And we know that they're present because where did this child come from, right? There were whole families of people following Jesus around, listening and watching what he was doing. This crowd could have swelled anywhere to 10,000 or more. In our introduction, we might recall that Jesus asked a question Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? That's Philip asking here. And it's interesting to think about perhaps why Philip was challenged perhaps with this question. Maybe it was Philip's question to answer because he especially needed to witness this miracle. Verse 7, Philip replied, it would take a small fortune to feed them. Perhaps also, he was just representative of one of the disciples. More than likely, he's also representative of us as well. You see, Philip had already 
run the numbers and done the accounting. He'd already calculated. It would take a lot of money to buy enough food for all of these people. And Philip, like us so often, was certain what could not be done instead of having the faith to believe in what could be done. And if we're honest, we're a lot like that too. In our own spiritual journey, I've come to just believe that there are times in our lives when God allows our provision, our resources to appear to us to wane so that we can return to depending on God. When our resources are running low, we must learn to stop putting our trust in material provisions and learn to put our trust in God. Life is not just about numbers. Life is trusting God for our resources, realizing that every resource that we have comes from the hand of God in the first place. And at the same time, we need to be smart with the resources that God has already given us, even if, especially when, the resources we don't seem to have to us are to be enough. Jesus used this little boy with this meager amount of food to prove to us an essential truth that a little can be a lot when God is involved in it. Often, when we're in a time of need, we need not only ask, what do I have? It's also, I think, important for us to ask ourselves, is God in it? Is God in what I have? Is God in my plans? Is God in my activities? Do I go to God with my need of daily bread? Or am I living a life independent of trusting God? God could help us make a light lunch go farther than we can make a banquet go on our own. And it's easy. No one's saying it's not to become discouraged when our resources run low. And sometimes, sometimes we can get so discouraged that we foolishly spend away the little we have without applying it to the needs before us. The miracle in today's story, more than anything, teaches us not to give up. It teaches us that with God's help, we can prevail over our depleting resources. The miracle of Christ performed here in this story was real. And it is immensely astounding. But its purpose is not just, as we discussed in the beginning, to lay the groundwork for believing in Jesus as the Son of God. It certainly does that. But there's also a lesson about being able to make a little go a long way. Amen. One of the most practical things that we can do in our lives when resources are running low and we feel like we might be running on empty is to be smart with what we have, even when it's a little. And being smart means trusting and depending on God. And it means being, uh, making good use of the resources that we do have. Amen. Second thing to think about is be thankful. This is the second means to live by when we're running on empty. This is one of those things that is crucial for us to do, sometimes harder for us to believe that we need to. When Jesus re receives this boy's picnic, he instructs his disciples. Here at verse 10, 
have the people sit down. Right? Essentially, Jesus is saying, come to the table because you're about to be served something to eat. Verse 11, Jesus took, then took the loaves, gave thanks. Jesus was doing what he always did and what we should always do, give thanks to God. First Thessalonians 5 and 8, Paul says this, no matter what happens, always be thankful. For this is God's will for you who belong in Christ Jesus. And thankfulness, more times than not, is honestly a matter of perspective. How do we change that perspective? Don't focus so much on what you don't have that you fail to thank God for what you do have. We've already seen that the disciples were so focused on what they didn't have that they failed to recognize what God had provided. And again, that's a mistake that so many of us often make. We spend so much energy in our lives worrying about our stuff or about the stuff that we don't have that we wish we did. But we're followers of Christ, which means we're to focus on the things that really matter, those, those eternal things. That means we live for things that matter for eternity, faith, family, and friends. If we have those we have every reason to be thankful, even if we don't have a surplus of the other stuff. We must give thanks for every day. And we must make giving thanks a habit. Right? The heart is a muscle, and it needs to be exercised every day. Like the scripture we read a few moments ago, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, be thankful the car breaks down thank be thankful you have a car if the utility bill is higher than usual thankful you have a place to stay out of the elements and don't just take don't just take my word for this but you actually this is one of those things the heart has to be exercised you actually actually have to do this yourself i can't just tell you about it and you get it try this for the next week see if you can every day throughout the day come up with 10 things that you can thank God for. And don't, don't cheat. Don't just rattle off the same list whenever you get up in the morning and you're brushing your teeth or whatever. Right? No. Actually, make a conscious effort to look and find things in your life that, are, that you're thankful to God for. And do that 10 times a day for a week. And see a difference that will make. The third thing is this. Serve others. This is the third means to live by when we're running on empty. The Bible says that after he gave thanks for the loaves, he passed them out to the people. Afterwards, he did the same with the fish until they all ate and were full. Now, this is actually one of the more deceptive, complex bits of Scripture here. I, I didn't mean to say deceptive. I mean it's deceptively complex. This is one of those times that we sometimes will just read over this portion of Scripture and not see something there. But notice this. Jesus did not think of his own needs at any point in the story during this time of want. Why do we suppose he did this? John 10, 11, and 12 from the message translation translates it this way. I'm the good shepherd. 
And the good shepherd puts his sheep before himself, sacrifices himself if necessary. A hired man is not a real shepherd. The sheep mean nothing to him. If Jesus had been a man hired to watch the sheep, he might have decided that the best way out of this tight spot would have been to gather his disciples and split. Right? But he wasn't just a man that was hired to tend the sheep. He was the good shepherd. These are his sheep. Please, please recall that the message and the lessons that we pull from Holy Scripture in one way or another are always, always showing us that the key to a victorious life that we could live our lives <clears throat> more like Christ. The key to success in our lives is to make our lives more like Christ. And one of the most Christ-like qualities that we can possess is to be a servant, to put our life and our resources on the line for other people. The problem is, this is especially difficult when we begin to realize that our resources are running low. It's in these moments we're tested. In these moments, we can naturally begin to bargain with ourselves. Well, right now, I, I, I really should probably be looking out for my own needs. I know that there are others in need, you know, but I'm running a little bit short. I'll have to pass on meeting their needs. And I'm very thankful. That was not the mindset of Christ. That he didn't confiscate this little boy's lunch and say, well, I'm the big shot here. I'm the one that's doing all the preaching. If anybody should eat, right, I should. Instead, he, distri uh, distrib dist he distributes the food to people. He broke the bread, gave it to each of his disciples to give to the people. Jesus performed the miracle and the disciples distributed it. So the exciting insight here is not just that the food was multiplied, and it most certainly was. In fact, all four of the good news accounts or the gospel accounts of Jesus that we find in the New Testament, all four of them include this miracle. In fact, this is the only miracle that's mentioned in all four of the gospel accounts with the exception of the resurrection. What are we supposed to do when it seems like we're running on empty? Should we hang on to what resources that we have? And if so, that would be the natural. That would be the logical. That would be the human response. But Jesus showed us by his example that we're supposed to do the opposite. Serve and give our way out of depleted situations. And to do that runs counter to the natural way of thinking, right, that we've mentioned a couple of times. The life of Christ is calling us to lead not a natural life. It's a supernatural one. It's a life that's based on the promptings of the Spirit instead of what we perceive in the worldly realm. This is where the miracle working power of God activates in our lives. 
when we don't do what just comes naturally, but we do the supernatural. Instead of just looking out for ourselves, we look for someone to serve. We look for someone to share the blessings of God that God has given us. Even in those moments when it seems or it appears to us, those resources are small. And look, Jesus was impressed with people who gave even though their resources were limited. The Gospel account of Mark chapter 12, 41, 44, the New Living Translation, tells this story. Jesus went over to the collection box in the temple and he sat and watched his crowds drop their money. Many rich people, many rich people came and put in large amounts. And a poor widow came and dropped in two pennies. He called to his disciples and said, I assure you, this poor widow has given more than all of the others have given. For they gave but a tiny part of their surplus. But this poor woman, as poor as she is, has given everything she has. Jesus cares about our giving. He sees if we're giving when it's just convenient versus giving out of our depleted resources. And he always, always honors consistent giving because it's not about the amounts, it's about the heart. Number four, remember that God always provides more than enough. This is a fourth means to live by when we are running on empty. Remember, the natural human inclination when giving and serving others from our depleted resource is, but who's going to make sure that I have all I need? God is. Verse 12, now gather the leftovers, Jesus told his disciples. Let nothing be wasted. They gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over those who had eaten. Whatever you give to God, he will only multiply it for others. But he also will give back to you in abundance. Okay? Again, I'm talking, I am not talking about dollars and cents. I'm talking about the amount of our heart we're willing to give away. He will bless it. He will multiply it. He will distribute it. And then he will give more back to you than you gave in the first place. Luke 6 and 38, another promise. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So don't cut corners when it comes to giving and serving, please. Your giving and serving will reap huge dividends in the future. What, what do we need to do with this word today? The miracle that we've looked at this evening assuredly proves to us the power of Jesus Christ. The evidence of this power shows right there in Scripture something that we can trust that that same power is available to us today. And that trust provides to us hope and faith that Christ is with us through the inevitable storms of life. Trusting in that ever-presence can allow us to be smart with what we have, to always be thankful, continue to serve God, and to always remember that what God provides is always, always, in the end, more than enough. Amen? Amen. Amen. Any questions? Hey, thanks for coming, you guys.
You know, the truth is whenever I encounter people that are skeptical about religion, skeptical about their relationship with God, their spiritual relationship with God, the number one issue is trust. Trust that are based on promises. It's interesting to think about how much trust we put promises that are made to us in, in all different walks of our lives that we give so much more possibility to credence to than trusting in God in a way that we might live a supernatural life. And the blessings that we might be missing out on if we can't learn to trust. Anyway, something to think about. Okay, I'll see you next week. Till then, be blessed.